0: Well, good morning, I'll echo Scott's welcome, and uh, say again, it's great to see people in the room, glad you guys are here, and great to see you online, glad you're with us. I've got some hard news to share, we're moving to Texas. Those were the words my parents told me 30 years ago. You didn't think I was moving to Texas, did you? Come on. We were living in Connecticut at the time, and uh, I was a freshman in high school. And my parents came to me and said, my father's job had been relocated and we were going to be moving to Texas. At the time, I was crushed. Uh, My brother and sister had graduated from Staples High School in our town and I was going to Staples as a freshman and I was going to graduate from there. And now things seemed like they were going to be completely different. Uh, We were moving and uh, it took me a while to kind of process that, to figure out what that looked like Um, my life changed when we moved from one place to another and by the way we are uh, adopting a new policy at pbc that no one is allowed to move to texas anymore so those words cannot be spoken around here but this morning as we continue in the joseph series we're going to see jacob's family making this massive relocation so jacob uproots his entire family and moves them to Egypt. And in that transition, a lot of things changed for Jacob and his family. We're gonna see what it looks like to be moving the family of God. Now Jacob took his family from Hebron, which is in the southern part of Israel, down to Goshen, which is in the northern part of Egypt. It's a distance of about 200 miles. That would be like moving from here to Redding, California. Only Jacob was moving probably over 200 people, all of his sons, all of his sons' wives, all of his grandchildren, all of their property, all of their tents, all of their animals, lots of goats, and all of this on foot. And so he makes this massive move, and uh, he had certain reasons to do this. The, The primary reason that Jacob was moving to Egypt was because he could have more land, he could have a bigger house, he could have better food, he could be near his son. And when we hear those reasons, we think, hey, those sound pretty familiar, right? Isn't that why a lot of people make major moves today? Bigger house, bigger salary, be around family. This is a move that I think we can understand in some ways. And it's helpful for us because as we look at the story, I think we're going to see some very practical concerns that'll help us in thinking about where do we live? And where has God called us? And what does it look like to make a major move? And when should you do that? And when should you stay? And these are questions that if you live in the Bay Area, you ask a lot. Should we move closer to family? Should we go somewhere we can buy a house? Should we do this? And in thinking about Jacob's move, we can. We can think about some of those questions, but on a larger scale, what we're going to observe with Jacob is that what he was doing was following the plan of God. He was following God's calling for him and God's purposes for his family. So in the big picture, that's what we're going to be trying to see. What does it look like to be making these kinds of decisions guided by God? Now incidentally, we're also gonna observe that Jacob's decision to move to Egypt also led to 400 years of oppression for his people. So if you're thinking of moving to Texas, just just keep that in mind. That's a little bit of a warning. Now throughout this story, we've been zeroing in on different characters. Mostly we've been talking about Joseph, but last week we really took a hard look at Judah. And this week we're gonna be focusing on Jacob. We're gonna think about his experience as the head of this huge family. And we're going to see some some dynamics that we recognize. We're going to see the generosity of an outsider blessing him. We're going to see him trying to navigate the relationships between his children. We're going to see memories of his past and hopes for the future and thinking about what might be and what has been. And in the midst of that, what we're really going to observe is Jacob's relationship with his God, and how that becomes core for him. So last week, we saw Joseph uh, reunited with his brothers. He, He revealed himself to his brothers, and he made himself known, and there was this big emotional outburst. And this week, we'll see what came from that event. We'll start the story in Genesis 45, verses 16 through 18. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house... Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. For I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. Now, Pharaoh hears this good news, probably he literally heard it. The the, the words in the text are, um, the voice was heard in Pharaoh's house. And so he probably heard the commotion, he figured out what was going on and he was excited. He wanted Joseph's family to be reunited. And so he makes this incredibly generous offer, offering them the best of the land. They will eat of the fat of the land. And we're meant to observe the extravagant generosity that Pharaoh shows to the family of Jacob. That's a unique thing. In fact, it's the last time we'll see anything even close to generosity coming from a leader of Egypt. Egypt, for the rest of the Old Testament, becomes a symbol of opposition to God's people. And it's unique because he's not part of God's family. He's not part of God's plan. He's an, outsider. He's a foreigner. He's, a, he's the foreign government. And think about those initial people reading this text, living under the oppression of Egypt and thinking, wow, Pharaoh actually blessed our family. And so as we think about this story, it's helpful for us to think about whether we've experienced something similar. Have you received generosity from an outsider, and when we think about living here in the Bay Area, you know, a lot of people come to California to make it big. This has always been the place where you come to, to chase your dreams from the gold rush to the Silicon Valley rush. This is where you come because you can get rich here. You can find the good life. And a lot of people have. The companies in this area are incredibly generous. And this is one of those things that as a follower of Jesus, you kind of have to learn to understand and reconcile. What does it mean that these outside companies, that these foreigners, if you will, are blessing us with so much prosperity? And how do we handle that? How do we respond to that kind of generosity? And so Pharaoh offers to bless the family of Jacob. When my family told me that we were moving to Texas, Initially, I was devastated, but then I negotiated two things from my parents. First, that we could have a pool, and second, that we could get cable TV. And with those two things, I was fine. <laughs> and then think about this, it, it struck me, you know what? What made the move easier was the stuff I get, was the quality of life. You know, as a teenager, those things... We're going to improve my life dramatically. And that made this major transition easier. For the family of Jacob, the same is true. That What initially makes the move to Egypt seem like a good idea is that they can actually eat. And before we judge them too harshly, remember, they're living under a famine for several years. And they have to figure out, how do we survive this? And so now they have the opportunity to actually be in a place where they don't have to worry about eating every day. But as the story continues, there's some more complicated dynamics that start to play into the picture. We'll continue with verses 22 to 24. This is uh, Joseph sending them off, and as he does so, we're going to observe these dynamics. He says, to each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, this is Joseph to his brothers, But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. And so we have this promise of, of the better life in Egypt, But then, as Joseph sends them off, we see some of the old family dynamics that we're familiar with in the family of Jacob. Joseph gives all of them changes of clothes, and clothes throughout the story of Joseph have been a symbol of prosperity. If you remember that Jacob gave Joseph a robe to to symbolize his favor, and then his brothers stripped him of that robe. And then, when Joseph was in Egypt, uh, he got accused falsely of sexual assault, and his robe got stripped, his, his, his garment got stripped from him. And then when he ascended into Pharaoh's court, he got given another set of clothes. So clothes are kind of the way you track prosperity in the story of Joseph. So Joseph gives all of his brothers some clothes, but to Benjamin he gives extra. And we recognize that this issue of favoritism continues in the family of Jacob. They just can't seem to get over the issue of playing favorites. And then there's this curious phrase at the end where Joseph says, as you go, do not quarrel along the way. Now the the, the Hebrew there is is really tricky and people debate about what exactly it means. I think actually the translation um, of the ESV that says, do not quarrel on the way, is not quite as good as uh, the net Bible which says, as you travel, don't be overcome with fear. The word there is literally agitated. Do not become agitated along the way. And so you're trying to figure out what's in view there. And probably it has to do with being afraid. So remember that this is now the third time Joseph has sent his brothers back to Canaan. And the first two times he did so as a test And there was some devious, some confusing purposes in the background. So it makes sense, though, that as they're going back to Egypt, they would wonder, what's going to happen this time? Is there more contraband planted in our sacks? What's really going on? And so Joseph says, do not fear as you return. And we realize that even amidst the, the promise of a better life in Egypt, there are these family dynamics of favoritism and fear that just don't go away. Family continues to be complicated. It's never simple. It's never just pure. There's always things that come into play. So as we think about that, we might um, consider what God is doing there. God has offered this economic possibility to the family of Jacob, but it's complicated. And as the story continues, we're going to see how God speaks into that complication and makes his voice clear. So the brothers arrive back in the land of Canaan. They update their father on all that has happened, and this is what happens when they get there. This is verses 25 through 28. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Jacob hears the words of the brothers, and we want want to notice the reason that Jacob decides to make the move compared to the reason that he was offered the move. See, Pharaoh said, come here and I'll give you the best of the land. And Jacob says, I will go He doesn't say, I'll go to have a better life. I'll go to get rich. I'll go so I can finally be settled. He says, I'll go to see my son. I'll go so I can see Joseph before I die. And we start to notice a shift in the thinking that the move to Egypt is just to have a better life to thinking that there's something more. I wonder if Jacob had in the back of his mind his son's dreams. Those dreams where Jacob And his wives and their sons would be bowing down to Joseph. And maybe Jacob thought, the dreams are being fulfilled. God has spoken. I'm going to go and experience what my son had dreamed. But as the journey begins, it gets complicated for Jacob. Listen to how it starts. This is 46 verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and he came to Beersheba. And the narrative pauses there when Jacob gets to Beersheba. Have you ever gotten somewhere like some location where you arrive and all of a sudden you're flooded with memories? Maybe it was a childhood home or or someplace you'd been before or something where something special had happened and you get there and you just are brought back. I think that's what happened for Jacob. See, when he arrives at Beersheba, I think he's overcome with emotion. Let's try to put ourselves in in Jacob's shoes for a minute and think about all that had been going on for him. So he lost his son Joseph, his favorite son, years earlier. And then there had been this famine. And Jacob, as the head of his family, was trying to make sure that his family was okay. For years, he's trying to feed this massive family during a famine. In desperation, he sends his sons to Egypt to buy food, but he doesn't send Benjamin, because Benjamin's too precious to him. So he watches his 10 sons leave the promised land to go to Egypt. And they come back, and and they have food, and it's great, but they tell him, hey, the, the, the guy in charge wants to see Benjamin, and he thinks, no way. But a year later, there's no choice. His family is starving. And so he agrees, and then he sends Benjamin his favorite son, to Egypt, and he watches all of his sons leave him. Imagine what he's going through. And then finally they return and they bring him this news. Joseph is alive. The, the thing that he thought was over that was years ago, now Joseph is there and they can go see him and they can have a better life. And so he's, he's relieved, but he's overwhelmed with emotion and, and he packs up everything and he gets to Beersheba and he remembers I've been here before. Because the last time we heard about Beersheba in the book of Genesis was when Jacob was there running from his brother Esau because he was worried that Esau would murder him for stealing the family blessing. And so Jacob gets to this town and says, I've been here on the border of the promised land before and last time I was here I was running in fear from my brother who I thought might murder me but this time I'm running to my son who was tried to be murdered by his brothers. And all of these things I think just came and, and swirled in Jacob's heart and mind and so he pauses in Beersheba and we think about all the dynamics that happened to us, all of the considerations of our families and our past and our future and when we're trying to make decisions, how do we put that all together and we get to that place where we just, I think, break down. And wonder, what is God doing? Jacob was at a crossroads. He's at this turning point. And as the pandemic comes to an end and, and, and things get back to normal and, and life goes back to the same, but it's not the same because everything's changed, we might be at a crossroads too. Are you at some kind of a crossroads trying to make a decision, trying to figure out what's next, trying to take into account? all of these complicated dynamics. And I think there's one more consideration that Jacob has in the back of his mind. There's one more voice that he's remembering. And that's the voice of God. Because back in Genesis 15, God spoke to Abraham and he told him this in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. And so now, generations later, Jacob is bringing his family to a land that is not theirs. And I wonder if he's thinking, am I fulfilling this prophecy? Are my people, because of this move, going to be oppressed for 400 years? And what do I do with that? Do I not go? Do I go... How do I process this? And so it's in the midst of that that God speaks to him. God comes and he shows up. And this is what happens. I'll read again the first part of verse 1 through verse 4 of chapter 46. Again, so Israel took his journey with all that he had. And he came to Beersheba. And he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob. Jacob, and he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. And so in the midst of that swirling, complicated stuff that Jacob is trying to figure out, God speaks to him. He calls him by name. He says, Jacob, I'm the God of your father Isaac, and I'm here with you. See, I think Jacob was worried about this promise to Abraham, but but God goes farther back and quotes him the earlier promise to Abraham where God said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. And so God reminds Jacob that even though there's some hard stuff coming, ultimately, his plan is still being played out. The original promise still stands. And then God promises Jacob the most precious thing that God ever promises. He says, I'm gonna go with you. You need to go to Egypt. And God doesn't mention it, but I think there's almost an implicit affirmation that yes, this might lead to that promise of years of affliction. But I'll be there with you, and I'll take you up again. I'm not going to abandon you there. I'm not going to leave you there. Interestingly, this is the last time we hear God speak in the Old Testament until God speaks to Moses from the burning bush. There's a lot of silence. But in this moment, God encourages Jacob that he is doing what God wants him to do. And that's really helpful for me because when I get into situations where there's all these dynamics and you're trying to balance providing for your family and and protecting things and all these things and, and what do you do and do you move or do you stay, you realize the only thing that matters is following God's plan. It may seem complicated. It may seem like there's a lot to figure out, but at the heart of it, You go where God's leading you. And as long as God goes with you, whatever, whatever awaits you, he's going to be there. He's going to be there to take you through it. And so stay in California, move to Texas, escape to Canada, whatever. It doesn't matter if God goes with you. God's presence is the thing that matters. And that's what God promises to Jacob so that he knows he's doing the right thing there's one more thing that that happens here see is uh jacob encounters god in beersheba he hears that god is going with him but then we get the the kind of epilogue to this story where there's a listing of all the people that jacob moves from israel to egypt and uh, there's about 20 verses of names to, to detail out who it was that was included in this massive relocation. We're not going to read all of them, but I'm going to read a few highlights, and we want to make an observation about that group of people that moved. I'll start by reading verse 5. We read, then Jacob set out from Beersheba, the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones and their lot and their wives, in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they accept this generous offer, that they move, and then we begin the list of people in verse 8. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came from Egypt. Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and then there's this list of all of the people that go. We have over 80 names listed in the next several verses. But everything wraps up at the end with the end of verse 27 where we read, all the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. And with that, this massive list of names is wrapped up. Now, the number 70 is not meant to be a precise number. If you try to match up all the names, you have to do a little finagling to get to 70. The the importance of 70 is the significance of who it is that has moved. Because 70 is a number that indicates completion. It's, It's wholeness. It's Two perfect numbers, seven times ten, and it's this sense that everybody moved. The family of Jacob moved in its entirety to Egypt. But there's another thing that the number 70 points back to, and that's back in Genesis chapter 10, after the Tower of Babel, we, we, we get a listing of the nations that came from the world. And we hear about the sons of Esau, we hear about um, the sons of Gomer, the sons of Ham, the sons of Cush. And there's 70 nations that are listed back in Genesis chapter 10. Some people call that chapter the, the table of nations. And it's led to this idea that in Judaism, the idea of the 70 nations as representative of the entirety of the world. To speak of the 70 nations is to speak of all nations on this planet and so we realize that all of Jacob's family moved but they're also moving to Egypt which is in some ways a a representative nation of the nations of the world and we see that the purpose for the move is not just for them to have a better life but what we hear Joseph saying later is so that he might save people's lives And so this little number 70, I think points to two things about this move. First of all, it points to the idea that the whole family of God in its entirety makes this move. But the purpose of it is for the whole world, is so that the whole people of God can minister, can can save, can bring a message of salvation to the entirety of the world. And so this becomes then our calling, as the people of God, that we might have those two aspects in mind when we think about God's purposes for us. Can we be the whole family of God for the whole world? Can we be the whole family of God for the whole world? See, initially you might think, okay, we are the whole family of God. What that means is that we are diverse. We are not one culture we are not one country we are not one kind of people we are not one denomination we the people of god is this vast group of people from different perspectives and different cultures and for us to 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 resonate with that to know that we are connected to our brothers who are african-americans we are connected to asian americans that, that are experiencing asian hate we are connected to indians in india that are experiencing persecution and confusion as their country is ravaged by covid that the people of god the 70 the, the wholeness of us we are all one and when one of us suffers when one of us rejoices we we join together with them so part of our calling is to experience that wholeness to be the whole people of god but not just so that we can feel great and and sing kumbaya and have our arms around each other. The purpose behind being the whole family of God is for the sake of the whole world so that we can minister to all of the people on this planet so that God's message, the message of Jesus, can be effectively proclaimed to everyone who might benefit from it. Last week we talked about how I think one of the consequences of the pandemic has been that we, as the people of God, have become more fractured. Uh, divisions are easier. It's easier to assume um, bad intentions behind things. We're, we're isolated. And so we've become, in some ways, fractured. But I think the other consequence of this pandemic is that we've also become a little inward looking. You know, for some of us, the, the last year has been very comfortable. I mean, we've been saying, put on your pants and come to church because we haven't had to put on pants for a year. We stay at home, we roll out of bed, we're in our pajamas, we, you know, we just kinda lounge around and if you can work from home, it's, it's been easy and, and because of the fear of what's happening, that, that tends to make us inward focused. We're trying to protect ourselves, we're trying to protect our families. And so it can be hard to remember that the calling of God is not for us to be comfortable. The purposes of God are not to make his family comfortable. It's to make the kingdom of God known on earth so that everybody has access to the message of Jesus. And if we find that our desire for comfort comes into conflict with God's purposes, then we need to reevaluate at times and remember how God has called us. And so Jacob leads his family, 200 plus people, 200 miles, all of their animals, all of their possessions. He leads them to a better life, knowing at the time that it's also going to lead to 400 years of oppression. He understands the gravity of the decision he's making, but he also knows that God is with him, And that God's plans are being fulfilled by this move. So over the course of this section, we've seen this this move, this move from Hebron to Egypt, initially be characterized as a financial opportunity, a better life. But then we have saw it's not just a financial opportunity, it's God's plan. God says, I will be with you. And at the end, we see it's not just God's plan, it's so that God's purposes are fulfilled. And that's the purpose of all of this. The family of God exists to fulfill the purposes of God. It's a big deal to move to a new city. Even today, to relocate from from one city to another. I mean, that's a major life transition. Even when it just means loading up a van and getting on an airplane and renting a new place or buying a new house. I mean, that's a major turning point. In people's lives. When I moved from Connecticut to Texas, that that changed a lot. And looking back, I see how that was God's purpose for me. I see how he met me, even in Texas. I mean, imagine that. And God's plans were fulfilled because of that change. But how much bigger is this move that Jacob's making, just logistically, to move in the ancient world that distance? but we've seen that he did this because God called him to. That following God's plan was the ultimate thing in his heart. So I asked you earlier whether you might be at a crossroads, whether there might be something that that you're wrestling with, and I want to return to that. And I want to ask you to consider maybe there's something that God's calling you to do. Maybe there's a, a sense that you have that God is leading you into something or or there's a decision you're confused about and and you're trying to make. And I wanna offer to speak God's words that he spoke to Jacob to you. As a reminder, I'm gonna reword them a little bit and rephrase them so they make sense for us. But I want to just invite you to hear these as God's word spoken into your life with whatever situation you might be facing. I am God, the God of your Father. Do not be afraid to do what I'm asking you to do. I myself will go with you. I will not leave you there alone. I will be your comfort. Amen.